You want to move up a little bit so that you can see a little bit better, then feel free to do that right now. Um, <clears throat> we had this song that just played, and, and we used to do that every Sunday night because we didn't have enough people to do specials and things, and, and now we do. So let me remind you, of course, we have, uh, we have a set of standards that we use for our music and everything else, but if you can sing or you have a group that you sing in or whatever, then uh, just let us know, and, and uh, Sunday night's a great opportunity to do that. Usually a little bit smaller crowd and, and uh, less uh, pressure on you if you are not comfortable with it, and that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of times why we have the, the younger uh, the young people play the specials for the offertory and things like that. Tremendous, tremendous thing. We're getting to the point now where we, we're going to have to start scheduling Wednesday nights too. There's so many of young, the young people that are playing the piano and other instruments and things like that, that it's, it's a good thing, that's a good problem to have. It's not, it's not a problem at all. It's just uh, it's a, it's a good situation to be in when we have that many young people that are interested in using their talents and their abilities for the Lord. And uh, so... Um, I'm, I'm, I want some of the adults that used to play to dust your instruments off and pull them back out, and uh, we'll start using a, what I'd really like to do is, is uh, to have an orchestra that will play along with, our, uh, with the hymns and things. I've mentioned that a couple times before, but uh, I'm going to keep putting pressure on you until you finally pull it out, and uh, we'll, we'll practice a little bit, and listen, you know, I know it's going to take six months or so for it to sound halfway decent, probably, because... It's still going to be a little rusty, but uh, pull it out, and uh, we'll, we'll accompany the songs. we got enough room up in the front here to put five, six, seven chairs and, uh, on both sides, so we can have a full orchestra in here, and uh, we have more people up here playing instruments than are singing, right? You can accompany the, Brian singing a solo up here. How about that? But um, <clears throat> So music, special music is a tremendous, tremendous thing, and, and of course, it's using your talents and your abilities, and you don't have to be a professional singer to get up here and praise the Lord, and uh, I mean, we, we need more people to make fun of anyway, so no, I'm kidding, we, we won't make fun of you, no, I'm, I'm teasing, we won't make fun of you at all, well, it's a blessing to have you use your, what, whatever abilities and talents you do have in God's service, and uh, uh, so just think about that, pray about that, if the Lord would have you to do that, and, and we'd love to do it. Uh, I forgot to mention as well, <clears throat> before we get into this tonight, that um, it's going to be a little shorter tonight, I'm actually going to show you a lot of pictures um, a lot more pictures, just kind of give you an idea of, uh, of some of these things that we're talking about here, rather than, a, 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 you know, the last few weeks and the last few times that we've done it, a lot of slides with, uh, or, or, or uh, PowerPoint slides, I guess, yeah, I guess they're slides, with, um, uh, you know, more writing and explanations and things like that. I don't have a lot of that tonight. Uh, we're making our way back up toward the uh, Jerusalem area. We're getting ready to get into Galilee and Jerusalem, and there's so much with that, especially because all of the cities that Jesus went and visited and everything else, and there's so, so much there. But um, <clears throat> I want to show you a couple things in here. But just a reminder that we're going to have the, a meeting with the men uh, right after the service tonight down there in the fellowship hall, and uh, a couple things to go over with that. But First Kings chapter 9, so, so this is probably a place, in fact, what we're going to talk about tonight um, it's probably a place that you've never even really heard of before. Josh, am I, am I touching anything? I don't know what's going on. It's on, I think. I don't see a blue light. Sorry. Let me try the battery here. You just changed it, right? Oh, you didn't? Oh, I thought, I thought you gave it to me because you changed it. It's probably the battery then. You got one right here. 
I thought you get. I thought you gave it back to me because you changed the battery. But that's probably what it needs. Let's try this. Turn it off and back on. Are we connected? Here, can I give you this and have you kind of see what you can do, Brian? If you can take that back to him, we'll get into this in a second. But I, I got a lot to show you in the Bible anyway. So let's let's go there first. Uh, Elot, I'll just show it to you on here, all right? What sea is this? Mediterranean Sea. Which one's this? Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, Red Sea, right? The Med, the Dead, the Red. Easy way to remember it. But, so, all of this area, this little triangle area right here, what is this called? Do you remember? Anybody? The Negev, right, and Negev means what? South. There we go. Okay, perfect. So this is the city that we're going to talk about. That's Elot, and Elot is right on the top corner. All right, let me, let me back up, or let me open this up and, and remind you what this looks like here. Okay, this is the whole area. Okay, uh, what is this here? Egypt. All right, the big... The big uh, black letters right there, Egypt. What is this area right here? Do you remember? Sinai. It's the Sinai Peninsula, right? And then what is this area right here? The Negev, right, all right? And then all of this is Israel, which very, very small comparatively. Now, right there, this, this obviously is all of the Mediterranean Sea, okay? This little dot right there is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea. And then this is a finger of the Red Sea. Do you remember what it's called on the Jordan side? Not on the Jordan side. Elot is on the Israel side. It's the Gulf of Elot. Aquaba, very good. The Gulf of Aquaba. So this is the Red Sea, okay? But this and this as fingers, and even though they have a different, the Gulf of Aquaba on one side, the Gulf of Elot on the other side, is all considered the Red Sea, all right? But the area that we're going to talk about is right there at the top of that finger on the Israel side, okay? And that is, that is as far south as you can possibly go in Israel. And I'm going to put this one back up there because I've got a couple more things to show you on this map. But this is Elat, and that's what we're looking at now. It's not called Elat in the Bible. It's actually called Ezion Geber in the Bible, all right? But this is, and this is interesting, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 9, uh, I hate to say it this way, but there's a lot of chapters in the Bible that we kind of consider throwaway chapters, okay? And, and that's, a, that's, that's not a good thing. I don't mean that to say, oh, yeah, we just... But there's a lot of chapters in the Bible that we just read through and we don't pay attention to anything that it says because it's not David killing Goliath or Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den, right? And it's just words on a page. It's just places on a map. I'm telling you one of the things that would be a tremendous, tremendous thing for you to do, and again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we're trying to find some of these maps that, that uh, and I'm, I'm having a hard time finding the maps that I want. I may actually have to try to order them directly from where I got these in Israel. I don't know if I can or not. Um, these, are, these maps are all folded up. All right? I unfolded them and laminated them and everything else, but you could have them in a nice little, you know, nice little square that you can use. One of the best things that you can do when you're reading the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is to look at the map, see where it's at, see what it's talking about. And I mean, that's, exa that's exactly what we're doing right now. 
Right? We are literally reading the Bible while looking at a map. And it, it just brings everything together and helps it make so much more sense. And hopefully that will be the case with this. So look, look, look at 1 Kings chapter 9. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, and I'm not even going to read the whole second half of the chapter. But, but in verse number 15, how many, how many, okay, I'm not trying, this is not a trick question, all right, but think about the question. How many wives did Solomon have? 700. And how many concubines? 300, right? So he had a thousand, essentially a thousand wives. Why did Solomon have so many wives? That's a lot of it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's a possibility that some of those wives he never even met. Possibility. Because literally a lot of times he made, he made an alliance with another nation by marrying that king's daughter, right? What king is going to attack a man whose daughter is his wife, right? I mean, he's not, why, why would he do that, right? So let's make a political alliance. Can I marry your daughter? All right, I'll marry your daughter. And, and honestly, that's kind of what we find here. This is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised for to build the house of the Lord and his own house and Milo and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. I mean, Solomon was a, was a prolific builder. Now, Solomon was not the greatest builder in Israel. Does anybody know who the greatest builder in Israel was? Real, probably probably the, one of the greatest builders of all time, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a tremendous builder. And when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to show you some pictures of a lot of those things that Herod built that just will blow your mind. And things that, that, that just, by modern standards, is an amazing feat, let alone by the standards that they had back then. Um, but, and, and all of these places, by the way, uh, we're going to look at Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer, all of those places we're going to look at as, as we progress a little bit uh, more up into the main land of Israel. That's where all of those are at. Um, but think about this. Look at, look at what Solomon's building here, right? He's building the house of the Lord, which was phenomenal as far as the amount of money that he actually put into it and the amount of gold and silver and everything else. Right? His own house, which was amazing to the point where the Queen of Sheba heard about him and traveled thousands of miles by camel to come up and see it. And she said, the way they describe this is not anything compared to what it actually is. Right? I mean, this is just, you're just talking about wealth that you can't even wrap your mind around. Right? And God gave him that because he didn't ask for wealth, he asked for wisdom. Okay? Then... Milo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. Now, you've probably heard of the other ones, but what about Milo? Why would he, why would he build Milo? Well, we find that out in this passage. For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burnt it with fire and slain the Canaanites that dwelt in the city and given it for a present unto his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer, and Bethoran, the nether, and Baalath, and Tadmor in the wilderness, in the land. I mean, look at all these places Solomon's building. Everywhere. And a lot of these probably has to do with his wives and all the cities of store that Solomon had and cities for his chariots and cities for his horsemen and that which Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon and in all the land of his dominion. I mean, he's building everywhere. He's building palaces for his horses and palaces for his horsemen and just, I mean, just building all over the place wherever he feels like he wants to put a house, right? And all the people that were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, the Jebusites, which were not of the children of Israel, their children that were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel also were not able to utterly, uh, utterly to destroy, upon those did Solomon levy a tribute of bond service unto this day. So uh, what, what, uh, 
What was the land of Canaan called before Israel got there? It's, it's maybe a confusing question. I'll answer it. It's the promised land, right? It was the land that God promised to them. They were supposed to go in and, and do what? Wipe them out, right? Get rid of them. But then you had stories like Saul, who was supposed to completely kill the Amorites, and what did he do? Save the king, right? He, he saved Agag. Well, Agag now goes out, and now he has descendants, and the Amorites start to build back up. Now, a, a, lot of these, a lot of these kings were killed or imprisoned. A lot of the people were destroyed, but not all of them, right? And so now you have these little pockets all over the place in Israel where Israel, as a tribe, a, as tribes, were supposed to go in, and now this land belongs to them. But you've got little pockets everywhere of the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all of these others that should not have been there, but they just didn't completely destroy them like they were supposed to. So Solomon says, all right, fine, you guys can live here, but you're going to pay tribute and you're going to be servants. So that's what he has. And now, because he has so many of those people, how do you think Solomon's building all over the place? Using slave labor to do it, right? Fine, you can live here, but you're going to be my slave and you're going to build this house for me. In fact, this is where I want it. This is how I want it and go do it right? Or risk being killed because we have every right to destroy you. You're living in our land. You don't belong here. So verse 22, but of the children of Israel did Solomon make no bondmen, but they were men of war and his servants and his princes and his captains and rulers of his chariots and his horsemen. These were the chief of the officers that were over Solomon's work, 550, which bear rule over the people that wrought in the work. I mean, this is, he doesn't have 550 workers, he has 550 people who, in, who are in charge of his workers. I mean, that's a lot of people that are out there building all these different places. But Pharaoh's daughter came up out of the city of David unto her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then did he build Milo. And three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar, which he built unto the Lord. And he burnt incense upon the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the house. Now, here's, here's where we come to Elat. Okay? And I told you it's not called Elot in the Bible. It's called Ezion Geber. And King Solomon made a navy of ships in Ezion Geber, which is beside Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent in the navy his servants, shipmen, uh, uh, sent in the navy his servants, shipmen that had knowledge of the sea with the servants of Solomon. And they came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. So let, let's get into this here. And, Look at a few of these things, maybe. It's not connecting again, brother, Josh, please, sir. There we go. All right, so Elat is Israel's southernmost city, situated on the north end of the Gulf of Aqaba, which is the arm of the Red Sea. Okay, we pointed that out already, down here at the bottom. Um, and actually, we're going to talk about a couple different places tonight, and all of them are right here kind of in this area, okay? Uh, do you remember what else is down there that we talked about well, it wasn't last week, it was the week before that. Do you remember what was down there? Charlie. Don't remember? Anybody else? It was a park. It's a park. But it's tied directly to Solomon. Ah, all right, we'll get there. I don't know, you're probably just going to have to go to the next one. I don't know what it's doing. Okay, here's, this is screenshots of my map when we were there, just to kind of give you an idea of what you're looking at and where it was at and all of that stuff uh, as well. But, so I told you that I'm going to give you a lot of pictures, and that's, that's what we're doing. 
All right, these, these are just a lot of pictures tonight to give you an idea of what the whole place looks like. Very, very different, at least, at least for me, than, than what I had in my mind. But um, uh, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 22, because there's another passage that we're going to get into that has a lot to do with this. But, okay, this is, uh, this is the, the, the Red Sea from the mountains of Ezion Geber, or Elat. A beautiful, beautiful place, um, actually, but... Couple different pictures, and then that's what I'm. That's what I'm telling you. I think I have about 97 slides or so uh, tonight, and uh, most of them are pictures. I just want you to get an idea of what the land looks like. Does anybody remember? Then, okay, you see the mountains in the background on the other side of the Red Sea. What is that? Jordan. That's Jordan. Right. That's how close it is. So, so what you're looking at here, all of this right here is all the land of Jordan. In fact, all the way up here is all the land of Jordan until you get to right up about here. This is Syria. This is Lebanon, this is Egypt, um, and, then, and then you get down into Saudi Arabia on this side. In fact, I think the map here shows you, yeah, Saudi Arabia over here, okay, Egypt over here, Jordan all the way up this side, Lebanon up at the top, Syria up at the top on this side. But basically, the separation, the boundary between Jordan and Israel is this mountain range that just goes all the way down, and you can see actually how big those mountains are. Um, just beautiful, beautiful scenery, all right? I guess you're just going to have to push every one of these. If you hear the click, then push the next button, all right? Um, but lots of, so, so this is the area that we're talking about here, and, and you can see how easy it would be, okay, for them to, to have these big ports down here that would then swing around and, and go to these different places. Saudi Arabia, in fact, I wish I had a, I wish I had a little bit, in fact, I think I do have a little bit bigger map. Uh, in the pictures up here in a second that will kind of kind of help you bring all of these things together as well. But click. There's a video. Just to give you a picture of how beautiful that I mean, look at that. You know, no wonder Solomon picked some of these places that he did. No wonder these kings really loved the, the area that they were in. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And by the way, um, while you're looking at that, you know, the miracle of the Red Sea and the children of Israel crossing the Red You can get a picture of how big that is, too, with these, little, these cars driving by and how small they look when they get down to that area. But, that, I mean, that whole thing down there is a city. That's what you're looking at. This, this whole backside uh, up here, you know, it, it's, it's a city. So it's not just, it's not, it's, it's very, very big. But, you know, the thing is, there's, there's a lot of people who have argued back and forth for years. Oh, you know, it's, it wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea, and it was basically, you know, ankle deep. And, and so, you know, it just happened to be that it was a dry time and everything else, and they crossed the Red Sea, right? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of arguments that, you know, people have tried to explain away how God parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground, right? Well, number one, it'd be pretty hard for the entire Egyptian army to drown in a Reed Sea, Right? So we know that this was a massive, massive body of water. It wasn't just some little, you know, shortcut that they took and, and you know, sloshed through a little bit of swampland and, and made it out the other side, right? And so when you think about the Red Sea, the Bible says the Red Sea, not the Gulf, right? So they crossed on the Red Sea, which is, is exactly how you would get two million people to go across an entire Egyptian army. I mean... That, that's, not, that's not small, but an entire Egyptian army, by the, time, by the time one part of that Egyptian army was coming out the other side, the other, side, the other part of the army wouldn't even be going in. It's wide, but it's not that wide, right? It has to be in a place, because the Bible says when they were in the middle, 
all the walls of water came crashing down. It was not on some little reedy area of the Red Sea. And, and I mean, even this, I'll show you some pictures a little bit closer of the Red Sea in a second. Even that's big. But that, that entire army would easily be able to fit in there. God, put, God did a miracle. It wasn't just some happenstance, you know, where uh, the, everything was right and, you know, the timing was perfect and the sea was dry and this and that happened. God did a miracle for them and, and gave them dry ground to cross on. Go ahead and go to the next one. <coughs> that was our hotel that we stayed in there in uh, Eilat. Nice place. There you go. There's the, that's the top corner, the very, very top corner of the, uh, the Red Sea, and uh, just beautiful, beautiful. It was that sunset, and so the mountains in Jordan were, were they, I mean, just looked like they were on fire, you know? Go ahead. There we go. That's us, if you were wondering. Next. But just kind of give you a picture. Uh, you know, I, I tried as much as I could to put people in these things, um, just so you could get a picture of how big these things are. Go ahead. There you go. You can see how massive that, that area is, too, but by looking at the giant hotels that are up there in the corner, a giant crane and everything else on that, on that far corner and just really getting a picture of how big it is. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is Elot, and, uh, of course, I think, I think where we were right there, um, uh, in fact, I know it. Go, go to the next one. Okay, next. Very modern, very modern-looking city. Next. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think that's a video. Try that. There we go. But here in just a second, you're actually going to see a picture or video. Uh, we, we drove all the way down to Egypt. I mean, that's how close Egypt is, and it was literally like a two-minute drive. I mean, it was not far at all, maybe five minutes, but couldn't get into Egypt uh, just because of the, um, you know, all the paperwork and everything that it required just to step across the border. But we went right to the border, turned around, came back, saw it. I mean, that's how close it is to all of those things. Go ahead. Just, just giving you pictures and, and some videos of, of what it looks like just to give you an idea. Beautiful, beautiful area. Um, but this, I mean, think about this. I'm going to show you some, some drawings. They don't have, a, obviously, any ships. I mean, Solomon lived 3,000 years ago, <clears throat> 3,500 years ago. But um, some drawings of some of these ships and things of what they found and bits and pieces here that will show you what it looked like. But can you imagine? That's the area where Solomon's ships docked, brought in all of this uh, cedars from Lebanon and all of these other things. And uh, not just that, but, but, the, but Ophir. Um, and like it mentions there in verse 28, they came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold, 420 talents, brought it to King Solomon. This is where they came in. This is the port that they came in to give those things to King Solomon and to, to bring this wealth in. All right, go to the next one. So Elot was the general location of Ezion Geber where Solomon's ships were docked. We read that verse. Uh, they were manned and piloted by Phoenicians from Tyre. We read that verse. They made round trips to Ophir, and other places for gold and other products. Go to the next one. Uh, Hiram, he was the king of Tyre, which um, Tyre and Sidon are actually like up in this area. Okay, so this is Lebanon. Remember here in the cedars of Lebanon, right? Uh, so that's where it was at. So easy for them to kind of come down the Mediterranean coast. And there was ports, and I'm going to show you some of these, but there was ports all the way up and down the Mediterranean coast as well. But, which means then, 
okay, that, that these were all, you know, Hiram, okay, so Hiram of Tyre sent sailors to man Solomon's ship, so the famed Phoenicians aiding Solomon, bringing wealth to him and everything else. A lot of these, some of them didn't have a choice, but some of them were so enamored with Solomon and so enamored with his wealth that they wanted to be a part of that. It's almost like, um, uh, I, I don't know, uh, there's probably things where, you know, uh, normally you would get paid for it, but you're like, wow, this is such a tremendous privilege. I'll, you know, I'll do it for free, and I'll be able to say for the rest of my life that I got to do this. Normally you'd get paid for it, but, and I'm not saying that these guys didn't get paid, but it was, it was kind of a situation like that. Solomon was so well known around the world, the known world at that time, that everybody wanted to be a part of what he was doing. But, but Tyre and Sidon are up in this area right here there in Lebanon. They would, they would cut down all these uh, trees and, and bring them down the coast. Now, obviously, there's no, land, there's no water linking the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. So they would have had to go all the way out, all the way down and around the bottom, right, and come, or take the sailors from there, bring them down here, and then had the ships that were docked there and sent them out. Because go to the next picture. <coughs> Unlike the warships, Phoenician merchant ships were powered by sail because normally they would have these oarsmen underneath there you know, pumping this ship forward for, for the Navy ships, but these were actually cargo ships. So instead of having oarsmen, they had, they had cargo filling those spaces. Go ahead. That's a full-size recreation of a Phoenician cargo ship. Not very big. I mean, that, that's, that's a couple cars in the background. If you were to put cars end-to-end, you might fit three or four cars in there. It's really not that big, especially when you consider, you know, you think about the Phoenicians and all of the, I mean, you think these are massive, massive ships, or you think about American warships and things like that and how big they are. They're not. They're really not that big. But um, that's, that, was a, that was a cargo ship, obviously, but it could have been turned into a warship by just opening that up and turning the cargo hold into a place where they would have oars and everything else, but that's it. Next. So there's a drawing of the ship being unloaded <clears throat> below the deck, the storage jars, the metal ingots. That was the things that they would use. An ingot is basically uh, raw material. So, you know, when they're shipping gold, they're not necessarily shipping it as coins or whatever else. They're shipping it as big bars or, you know, metal. They're shipping it as big blocks, and then they melt it down and make it into what they want. Go ahead. Uh, so there's unloading a Phoenician cargo ship. Do I not have any control, Josh? So here you go. So the, the exact location of Ophir is not known. It could have been in India, it could have been in Africa, but you think about this, okay? So these Phoenicians are coming down and making it to the place where Solomon's ships were docked. They're not going all the way down and coming around here and doing all that stuff. They're going down, coming into the Indian Ocean and going over to India or, or possibly even going to different places in Africa. I mean, to, to get to the Mediterranean Sea from the Red Sea, you literally have to sail all the way around the Horn of Africa and come all the way back up that side. So they're not doing that, obviously, right? So Ophir was not in Lebanon or on the, on the uh, Israel's eastern co uh, western coast or anything like that. It's, it's somewhere over there in India or, uh, or Africa or, you know, again, nobody knows exactly where that's at. But it, it's mentioned here in verse 28, they came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold. 420 talents and brought it to King Solomon. So um, easy on Geber would have been the place where they left from and where they came back and docked. Go to the next one. A couple, couple different things about this here. So it's more probable that Ophir was in India. The Hebrew word translated ivory, apes, and peacocks in 2 Chronicles 9.21 are all foreign origin words. So like, um, um, 
can't think of any examples, but we have a lot of words in our language that are, that, that are foreign words, right, that have become English. I mean, we use them as the word for this, right? Uh, it's pretty funny, too, because you'll, you know, um, hear somebody speaking, let's say they're speaking in Spanish, and all of a sudden you'll hear a word, you're like, I know what that is, right? Because they don't have a word for it. So they just use the foreign word, and that's what they call it, right? And so that's what we're talking about. When you read in 2 Chronicles 9.21 about the ivory, the apes, the peacocks, all of those words that are translated from the Hebrew are actually words that have foreign origins. So that means they, they, they didn't, you know, basically they didn't know what ivory, apes, and peacocks were in that area, so they were not words that were um, uh, native to that. So, uh, but the word for ivory, apes, and peacocks were words that related commonly to India. So more than likely, that's, what, that's where Ophir was at. Um, but the, the Hebrew Chaldee lexicon says the word for ape is a word of Indian origins, likely that travelers from the land of Israel would have learned the foreign names for these exotic items, and then came back and said, this is a peacock in Hebrew, right? This is an ape in Hebrew. This is a, um, what was the other word? Ivory. This is ivory, and they would have used that word in Hebrew, but that's where they would have gotten that word from. It's, it came from Indian origin, so more than likely, that's where Ophir was at, was, was there in India, all right? Solomon's ships brought 420 talents of gold from Ophir. Look at that. That's 32,000 pounds of gold. I mean, that, that's just, uh, again, you, you know, we're not told how often that gold shipment arrived, but think about what 32,000 pounds. Does anybody know what the, uh, what the price of an ounce of gold is right now? Isn't it like $2,000? Can you do that real quick? 2,000 times 16 times 32,000 to see what the value of that money is, uh, of that gold is that they're bringing in. I mean, we're not talking, you know, a, a million dollars. How, how much is it? It doesn't even compute because it's so, so big. <laughs> E9. So to the ninth. So you're talking about, a, you know, a billion dollars worth of gold. I mean, just a tremendous, tremendous. Turn your, turn your thing sideways. Turn, turn, your, turn, your, uh, turn your calculator sideways. Does it tell you there? Like a, a number one with how many zeros after it? One billion, twenty-four million dollars worth of gold that they brought in. You're, you're just talking about money that you cannot even comprehend. And the Bible, I mean, again, the, the point that's being made here is we don't know how many times that happened. We know it happened, right? But just, just amazing, amazing amounts of, of gold and all kinds of other stuff that they're bringing in. And then Solomon's using that to line the the walls in his house, you know what I mean? His palace was just lined with gold and, and coated with gold, everything was. And so no wonder the queen of Sheba said, the way they described it does not even compare to what it actually is, right? But that's where they would have brought it, was right there to Elat. All right, next. So Elat was the southern end of the territory of Edom that began at the Dead Sea, okay, which is up there at the top, the city of Sela or Petra, which we did not get to go to. I'm hoping that when I go back, I'll be able to go there. But that's halfway between Elot and the Dead Sea. In fact, Petra, uh, might, okay, here's Petra right here. Okay, so it's in Jordan, and really the only way to get there is to go down and up and around because of the mountains, pretty much, unless you had a way to get through the mountains or something like that. But uh, Petra, uh, I've, I've been told that Petra is just an amazing, amazing city. Uh, that was built basically on that, that trade route, the spice route. Um, and um, so, uh, next. 
All right, so this was, uh, I, I didn't know what was coming next because I don't have any control over this here. But did I do that? Did I do that? What? Go back. All right, so Solomon's copper mines were located in Timnah near Elat, which I showed you that last time, right? And Solomon's pillars, uh, we had the picture of Solomon's pillars, and it was, it's a misnomer because it's actually not. They, they originally thought that maybe that's where Solomon's copper mines were. They were not. They were actually just, um, you know, uh, natural rock formations, but his copper mines would have been in that area very near Elot. All right, so here's Elot. All right, Timna is right here, and this is where those copper mines would have been at. So you're talking just, I mean, by camel, I mean, you're not talking very far at all. I mean, less than a day, less than a day by camel. So uh, his copper mines were located there. And again, go to the next slide. We're not, we're not told in the Bible. Uh, his mines are not mentioned in the Bible at all, but the Bible does mention massive amounts of brass, which is a copper alloy, which would have had to have been mined, obviously, from the copper mines that were used in the construction of Solomon's temple. And I'm not going to take the time to read through 1 Kings chapter 7, uh, but if you want to write that down and go back and look at it later, it's an interesting passage. But verse 14 through 47 talks about all of the, the amounts of brass and all of those things. All of those would have had to have been mined somewhere to be able to use as an alloy to make the, the, the brass and everything that was used there in Solomon's temple. And, again, it just makes sense that as they're shipping all of this stuff in from all over the world, they're just going right up here, finding these copper mines, digging it all out, and using that as they're continuing on up. Okay, so go to the next one. So the ancient copper mines were discovered in, in, uh, in modern times, 1930s, by is Israeli archaeologist Nelson Gluck, dated them back to the 10th century which would have been during the time of Solomon, so it makes sense. Go ahead. There's a little drawing of what the copper mines would have looked like, but from the 60s to the 80s, they found thousands of mines and just a large number of smelting camps. A smelting camp is where they would have melted that ore down to be able to turn it into um, brass or whatever else. But, so they found evidence of the presence of the Egyptians, the Midianites, the Edomites. Uh, does anybody remember where Edom was? Not, it's not Edom anymore. Yeah, it's in Jordan, right? So this area right here, though it's Jordan today, was Edom that we know of in the Bible. Okay, go to the next. There's an entrance to a mine. Could you imagine if that was your job, huh? Climbing into that little hole and pulling out copper. Go ahead. So there's, uh, and you just saw that picture, but that's a copper ingot from Timnah. It's in the, it's in the Israel Museum in Tel Aviv. We, we did not go there. Um, I'm going to take you through another museum that we did go through and show you a lot of things from there, but um, it's an ingot. Basically, they would, they would melt it down into um, a carryable form, and a lot of times they would mark it with different things so they know where it came from or maybe knew where it was going or, you know, different things. Uh, go, go ahead. There's some pottery that they found from Timna. Now, one of the best ways to date things is with pottery. And um, uh, pottery really tells them a lot about a place because of the construction of the pottery itself, but also the markings that were on that pottery. They can, they can, I mean, every civilization had different pottery that they would use. And um, those, those things would basically really tell them where it came from and, and uh, how old it is and all of that kind of stuff. So that's one of the things, one of the, one of the really big things that they use uh, as a dating method to be able to say, yes, this came from the 10th century B.C., so it had to have been at the time of Solomon. All right, go ahead. 
again, I mentioned that already, but, but the slaves were used for mining, and they, they labored under terrible conditions because, again, they were slaves. You're lucky to be alive. You're lucky that we're letting you live in this land. Um, so if you, want to, if you want to live and if you want to live here, then you're going to work. And that's what they did. They put them, they put them to work. Go ahead. So Egyptian remains include carvings of Pharaoh, the Ramses, Pharaoh Ramses II, Ramses III, Egyptian war chariot. Uh, and again, it's pretty amazing what they did and, and how these things survived. But, you know, basically that's their painting. And that's how people know what happened. And that's how they know what people look like and everything else. Go ahead. Uh, <clears throat> that's Temple of the Goddess Hathor, dated back to the 14th century B.C. Next. Reconstructive drawing of the temple. Go ahead. They tried to discredit Solomon's connection to the Mayans, but again, more than once, more than once, they've been able to date these things directly to the time of Solomon. Amazing thing. All right. Uh, in fact, before we before we move on too far, I want to I want to point out another passage here in First Kings chapter twenty-two. We're going to get to this one uh, quickly. And again, most of the of, of the Black Canyon is all pictures. So. I just want to let you see what that area looks like and how beautiful it actually is. But 1 Kings 22 is actually uh, mentioned again. Ezion Geber is mentioned again in 1 Kings 22. Um, verse 41. Get there. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. For the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. I've got some pictures of some high places that I'm going to show you, um, which, again, these high places were where they, they offered sacrifices to pagan gods and everything else, wicked, wicked things. So even though Jehoshaphat was a, was a good king and walked uh, in the ways of God, he didn't destroy these high places, and God was not happy with that. Verse 44, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Somebody know who the, is really, really going to test you, but does anybody know who the king of Israel was at that time? You know him, and you know him well. Ahab, Ahab, and who is his wife? Jezebel, right? Ahab and Jezebel. So here's the thing. Jehoshaphat made peace with Ahab. That was not an affiliation that God approved of or was pleased with. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And the remnant of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. There was then no king in Edom, a deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold. But they went not, for the ships were broken at Ezion Geber. Then said Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, unto Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with thy servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers. He, he died. He was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His father and Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. But uh, God broke Jehoshaphat's ships because of this unlawful affiliation that he made with King Ahab, who was the, the uh, leader of the nation of Israel. How many tribes were in Israel? At this time, we have a divided kingdom, remember. You have the king of the north, and you have the king of the south. How many were in the north? 
10. 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. The northern tribes were called Israel. Do you know what the southern tribes were called? Judah. Judah. Okay. So uh, Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, made a bad alliance with Ahab, who worshipped Baal and, I mean, all the other stuff that we know about Ahab. And God destroyed Jehoshaphat's ships at Ezion Geber because of the unlawful affiliation that he made with, with Ahab. So you see that place again, Ezion Geber. It's Elot today, or at least very, very, very close to where that is today, okay? All right, here's the Black Canyon. Now, this is, we talked about the wilderness of Paran. Does anybody know uh, what specifically we talked about, about the wilderness of Paran last week, week before? Who was in the wilderness of Paran that we know of? Who? Abraham, but not even Abraham as much as Charlie? The what? The children of Abraham. You're right. Which one? Ishmael. Very good. You got it. That's where Ishmael wandered around in the wilderness after he was cast out by Abraham. Right? Abraham went in unto his handmaiden. Who was his, what was his handmaiden's name? Hagar. Right? She had Ishmael. And then God said, all right, you're about to have another child, Sarah. His name is Isaac. And he was the promised uh, child that was going to bear the seed of Abraham and, and carry on his seed and everything else, right? But Ishmael, Sarah, said, he's not staying in here. He's not the promised seed. Kick him out. Take him out. So Abraham took him and Hagar out in the wilderness. And he almost died out in the wilderness. But God came, met him there, and provided for him there in the wilderness of Paran, right? And, and he became known as a great archer and everything else. But this is the area. So the wilderness of Paran. All right, I'm going to test your knowledge again. This is all the Negev, right? What is this area called? The wilderness of? Starts with a Z. Zin, the wilderness of Zin, right? And so then the second half of that, the bottom half, was the wilderness of Paran, all right? Now, I'm going to test your knowledge even more, because we already talked about it. What is this valley known as? Valley of Elah is up in this area right here. Nope. Nope. Kidron is up there near Galilee. The Arava Valley. Remember talking about that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going back and, and reminding you of these things. Hopefully, you'll be able to pick these up. We're going to move quickly here, all right? But so, so that's what I say. Most of these are all pictures of the wilderness of Paran. Josh, if you can, or whoever's running back there, is it you, Lydia? Just go ahead and just kind of take a couple seconds on each one. Oh, let me, let me point this out first, though. Mount Hor is the burial place of, of Aaron. Uh, he, was, he died in the wilderness, right? Aaron was not able to go into the promised land either. That's where he was buried. Uh, and, the, and there's actually the, the, uh, the, the Catholics and, and, and even the, the, the Greek Orthodox, they built a church on everything, right? If, if it had some connection to something, they were like, hey, let's put a church on it, right? So there's churches everywhere. Now, so nobody knows exactly where Aaron is buried, but that's Mount Hor, and that's where the Bible says that he was, that he was buried. And so you probably, you, if, if you look at it close enough, you can see it, but there's a little tiny white dot on the top of it, and there's a church there, so... That's Mount Hor. That's where Aaron was buried. All right, go ahead. All pictures of the wilderness of Paran. I'm not even going to say anything. 
unless I think of something, but just go ahead. <clears throat> beautiful, beautiful. But this is, this, uh, the dark is like uh, volcanic ash. It's stuff that's, that's, been, that's come up out of the ground, a lot of it. But just all kinds of different uh, ores and things like that, iron ore and, and uh, different things in there that give it all the different colors. Oh, this is pretty interesting. All right, go ahead. It's an ibex. You see it standing there in the tree? There it is a little bit closer. You see them everywhere. Okay. See if you can find the ibex. I know it's, I know it's hard to see. All right. It's, let's see if you can find it. I'll give you about 10 seconds or so to see if you can pick out where this thing is at. And tell me that God didn't give them exactly what they need to keep them protected. He's literally standing on the side of that mountain. And it's, 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 I mean, it's straight up and down. If I was to try to climb that, I, I maybe could do it, but I don't know. All right, go to the next one. There he is right there. You see it? Can you pick it out? It's still, even that, it's hard to see. I don't know, it's not, it's not very big because of, of the picture itself, but uh, maybe we'll leave that one up there at the end. Lydia, when we get to the end, leave that picture up there as the last one, all right, with the circle around it, and I'll let people come up and see where it's at. It's plain as day once you actually see it, but... If you had no idea where it was at, you would never see that thing. I happened to see some movement, and he actually came crawling up out of that little crevice right there and just stood right there. And I said, oh, look, there's an Ibex. And everybody's like, where? I said, right there. And the thing was just standing there, you know. And finally, he started moving again. And they were like, whoa, he just blended right in with that thing. And he really did. All right, go ahead. Here's a few more pictures of, of some other ones that we saw. Let us get right up next to him. Um, there we go. He actually touched my... He gave me a fist bump with his nose. But there's some people in there. You can see. All right, hang on. Stop. Go, go, go back. Go to the next one. There's a person right there. I know it's hard to see, but that's how big these mountains are. This is, this is called the Black Canyon. And I guess I never even pointed it out to you, but uh, Timna is right here. The Black Canyon was literally like, if you could get high enough, you could probably see Timna from this place. But Go ahead. Oh, there you go. That's a nice picture, huh? What? Is that not? That's all of them? What? Oh, man. I don't know what happened. That's probably the wrong one, Josh. Oh, well. All right. I'll show you some of those later. We'll, we'll hurry through this. So then, Yodvata, the High Bar Nature Reserve, and um, that is actually uh, right here. So it's, a, it's just a little bit to the north. Um, but what they do there at Yodvata is... Um, they, they, uh, they, have, they have brought into captivity, I guess, as many of the native animals to Israel as they can. And they just live on this nature reserve there. And it's all fenced in, so they can't get out. But go ahead. This one, um, yeah, raises native species of animals from ancient times and gradually releases them into the wild. Their, their, their mission, if you will, is to try to make sure that these animals do not go extinct. That's actually the last remaining leopard in Israel. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Um, they, they realized that they were very, very endangered. Not the last one anywhere, um, but it's the last one in Israel. And um, they were doing everything they could to try to preserve this species. And uh, so they had one in captivity that they were hoping to be able to, you know, breed and whatever else. And um, the, the thing got like a little uh, infection on its foot or something like that. So... 
they were going to try to remove the infection and, and help clean it out and everything else. So they put it under anesthesia, and it never woke up. It died on the operating table. So that was the last one. So they stuffed it, stuck it in the museum. All right. Um, <clears throat> really like a donkey. They call it an onager. They call it a Somali wild ass, whatever. But uh, go ahead. There, there's a couple of them walking through the trees over there on that side. This is a Simter horned oryx. So the one that we were just looking at is an oryx. Um, actually, I'll show you a better picture of it. Um, the Simter, and the way you can tell, you know what a Simter is? It's like that curved sword like the uh, Arabians used to carry, and they usually had diamonds and stuff on it. So that was a Simter horned oryx, and you can see that its horns were kind of doing that. A regular oryx, I mean, look how long the horns are, but they're a lot straighter than that. I think I have one that's a little bit closer up. There you go. Uh, I mean, look at the horns in those things. All right, here's a video. Watch this thing. Wish I had one of these. Watch. Yeah, there you go. Scratch your back with it. <laughs> but look how tall those horns are, right? I mean, they're huge, huge things. Lots of ostrich out there, too. There you go. There's, there's an ostrich. See it? But then look at the mountains on the back. I mean, it's just, just amazing how how... Very, very different than what I expected it to look like. Go ahead. There's gazelle, adax, ostrich. There you go. I think that's a video, short one, because you've probably never seen an ostrich before. But there you go. Is that the end? Yeah, I was, that's the wrong one. I had I had several more on there. That's good. Uh, we're we're well past time anyway, but. Um, uh, it's pretty interesting that actually from the, um, um, from the, from Elot, you can see the territories of three ancient kingdoms. You can see Egypt, you can see um, uh, Arabia to the east, and you can see um, Edom to the north. And so just a, just a really, really neat place. And, and part of the place where the Israelites would have wandered in the wilderness, but then even more than that, Solomon used that as a, as a base to bring in all this gold and everything else that he was using in the temple. So we're moving up. We're going back toward the north. And so the next thing that we're going to talk about is the Dead Sea and look at a bunch of stuff around there. And uh, really, really, really neat place um, to show you some pictures from that. But that's enough for tonight. I'll, maybe I'll try to pull some of those pictures of the Black Canyon out and show you at the beginning next time. But let's pray. And then we'll be done. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for how the Bible comes alive the more we study it. I pray that you help us to study it the way that you want us to. And uh, that, we'd, that we'd get a greater appreciation for just what the Word of God holds for us. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.